Hey, before I start this episode, I wanted to let you know about my meetup white page. Okay, so there is six top things that help my meetup group become one of the most famous talked about meetup groups on the planet, literally. And for you to get that for free, you just go to your text and actually type in 555-888. That's the phone number. And just send the word meetup. Literally, it's that easy. Send the word meetup to 555-888 and get the top six things that made my meetup famous. It's time for the Creative Real Estate Podcast, your source for out-of-the-box real estate investing strategies brought to you by realbluespruce.com. Welcome back to the Creative Real Estate Podcast. I'm your host, Adam Adam, and today we're here with Ferris Musa, who owns Disrupt Equity. He's one of the two partners there with Ben, and they have 800 doors currently, and before the end of the year, they'll have 1,200 doors, which is kind of amazing. Based out of Houston, Texas, his doors are in Atlanta, Georgia, and Beaumont, Texas, and he's been working with raising his own equity for some of these deals. And recently, he's gotten uh, in with some private equity groups. And so that's making his job a little bit easier. These guys wear many hats, but they've got a couple other people on their staff that help Ben and Ferris work on what they're doing. And what else am I missing here? Tell us a little bit about the company, and then we'll go into uh, where you came from. Yeah, sure. So thanks for having me, Adam. Uh, the company is Disrupt Equity. We focus really primarily on multifamily acquisition, kind of the A to Z. So from finding, closing, and then operating the property. And you know, in the end, and in the end, it's all about operations and making sure you can perform. So we really spend a lot of our focus there. But luckily, we've grown and been able to bring on staff to kind of help put in some of the systems in place. Awesome, great. Okay, so let me ask you this: What year did you get started in real estate? Oh, real estate about four years ago. I was, uh, I was moving back to Texas, you know, I had a software company at the time and my partner and I, we had done that remotely for a few years and, you know, knew I was moving back to Texas and I had extra capital at the time. So I started learning a lot about real estate and kind of the first thing you hear about is really, you know, fourplexes and that's all great and dandy, but there's really not many of them in Houston. But I was lucky, lucky I was able to find one that made sense and that was actually my first acquisition and kind of before I even moved back, I had already had that under contract and started to just run with that. So had a little bit of a taste of multifamily before I kind of got much more into it. Very, very, something very interesting to bring out. So let us just confirm that the first acquisition you did in real estate investing was multifamily. Yeah. So it was a fourplex, a small multifamily, and then did a bunch of houses and condos after that. And then kind of realized it didn't scale and then shifted full fledged into larger multifamily. When'd you get started in syndicating? About a year ago, a little over a year ago. All right. And so let's talk about just that portfolio that you've built on syndications. What was the first one you syndicated? Yeah. So my partner, Ben, had done two deals prior. So kind of met him, we clicked and just started running with it. So I was able to really leverage some of the experience he had, right? And, you know, let's start to streamline this into a full-fledged business. And so the first one that I did was a uh, 99 unit actually in Atlanta. It's a big turnaround project. I mean, it was a uh, it's a big value add play and that thing, that property is getting to stabilization now. So it's been, it's kept us really busy on that one. What does value add mean and what does stabilization mean? Yeah, sure. So value add is really looking for a deal that is, you know, rents are below market, not being managed, right? You're finding a way to add value to it. So typically these are not 90% occupied properties, right? These are maybe 80%. 
70%. In some cases, you can find a 90% occupied where the manager just is really high in expenses and really below market, and that's a nice, easy value add. But some of the more complex value add is, you know, really this property. So this property, we bought it. It's a very, very, very poor quality operator. I mean, it's, it's funny to me because most of the brokers I talk to in Atlanta know him and know that he just does not operate very well. And so they're like, oh, you're the guy that bought that deal. And, you know, it's just been really the first phase is kind of cleaning house. We bought this one 80% occupancy on paper, really, you know, evicted and dropped down to 50%, right? Getting tenants that are paying, bringing good quality people into the property. And then kind of at the same time, you're, you're curing a lot of uh, deferred maintenance. This property had a few down units. And so, you know, we're adding value to the property and that's really where we make our, our equity. Great. And for a listener who might be new to this and they heard you say it, you started at 80 and you wanted to add value. So you brought it down to 50% occupied. Can you explain a little bit more of the detail there? The, the owner before us was really trying to sell the property heads in bed situation. Anyone that came through was just letting them, you know, even though he did a background check, he did a criminal check. He did, it looked like he had kind of done a little bit of a vetting, but you know, we take over the property. A lot of people didn't want to pay, right? Weren't paying their rents. Um, there was a little bit of a crime element. So we had security and really clean that out. And that we expected to definitely do a turn, you know, a turnaround and bring the, the occupancy down. Not, not because we were trying to get people out of units so we can upgrade them, but more so just to get the property in a state that is consistent, right? And we know where it's at. And it's also safe and kind of better quality tenants just so month to month, we can continue to grow that and build on that and not deal with people that aren't going to pay and not really have an interest in kind of having, you know, a, a sense of pride in the property. Mm -hmm. That's been one of the, the big things we've noticed. Great. Well, let's talk about this. Um, the difference between economic vacancy and physical vacancy. Um, you started with 80% occupied. Was everybody paying? <laughs> so 80% on paper from the owner, but I mean, not everyone was paying. I mean, really, we got down, if you can, if we got down to 50% two months later, you can almost say it was 50% was the economic vacancy. And so for the listeners that don't know, your physical occupancy is exactly what it sounds like. People that are physically there, but your economic occupancy is more about, you know, financially, what did you bill out and what did you end up collecting, right? And so people that paid versus people that aren't paying or people that maybe paid late fees, kind of the whole, what does that bottom line look like? Mm -hmm. and so okay. this deal, I mean, we were 80% occupancy, probably 50% economic. And then two months later, we were 50% occupancy, 50% economic. So. Okay, cool. Well, I like that. Great. What did you do with the units once 30% uh, of those guys were out? So with that property, I mean, it's just been a big turnaround across the board. So these units are not, were not kept in good condition whenever people left, right? Most of the time, you know, in that submarket, people move out they, because they weren't paying, I mean, they did not maintain the, the unit. They might've trashed it before they left. And so really getting in there, you know, new paint, new carpet, new flooring, usually new countertops, sometimes new cabinets, you know, figure out what do you need to, you know, bring it up to a good quality of living. And the other thing that really we noticed is just, there was a surprising lack of functional air conditioning. And so that property closed in April. And, you know, in Atlanta, it's not too hot by then. So you don't really realize how many of them aren't working. But, you know, it's just been going in and figuring out, okay, what does it take to make this unit attractive and livable? Very, very interesting. Okay. So you've had it for seven months. Where is it today? 
So today it's on the road to success. So, I mean, we're 91%, 90, no, I apologize, 92.5% pre-leased, um, which is far from where it was before. You know, I think come next month, it'll, that'll be all physically leased. And so, I mean, you know, it's at the point where we've cleaned it out. I mean, our tenants, every time I'm there, it's been, it's been surprising to see the change, right? I mean, the tenants really are appreciative of where it's gone. It's become, you know, a community. Whenever we first took over, there was people throwing trash all over. Whereas now people have that sense of pride, sense of ownership and are keeping the asset clean. And, you know, at the same time, I mean, you know, we're at the point too where we've gotten the property where we wanted it in terms of the tenant base. And now we're going to, you know, bring online new uh, playgrounds and some other new amenities to really kind of add value to the tenants and kind of build a bit more of a community. Because, I mean, if your tenants care about your community, it's a much better asset to maintain, right? You're going to have a lot less headaches across the board, you know, a lot less people throwing rocks and breaking windows and, you know, people are willing to go say, hey, well, this person did this damage. You guys should stop that. Whereas before, everyone is kind of, you know, keeping to themselves and not really caring about the, the overall experience. Okay. So was this a A, B, C, D property? No, this one was a C property and a, you know, it's, it was a C area, but it's definitely an area that is getting gentrified. So it's about, you know, eight to 10 miles east of uh, downtown Atlanta. It's considered East Atlanta. So it's, it's inside the loop. And it's really an area where, I mean, there's a, there's a brand new multifamily that gets getting built right across the street that we saw. And, you know, whenever we bought this asset, I mean, it was the rough asset in the block. The property across the street from us was 100% occupied. I've never been able to see the interiors because they're literally always 100% occupied. Next door, there's a plot of land that after we took over is being built out. And so it's definitely an area that's getting improved and kind of really the, the gravy was a property about a mile away. It's, it's on the market right now for 125 a door. So much higher price tag than what we bought it as. So I think, you know, this, this property will do well. It's just been a lot of work to get there. Is the 125 a door comparable to your property? Yeah. So same vintage. That one is just a heavy upgrade, right? So that person has gone in, he bought the property more than we did. And it was, his property was vacant, has put 40 a door into it, kind of really brought it up to par, but it shows, you know, the demand in that area. And I think, you know, for us, I mean, we've executed our business plan and probably for the next owner, it'll be a good comparison saying, hey, you could buy our asset, mm. do that kind of value add and get those kind of prices. Okay. What will you sell it for? What's your, what's your plan? Yeah. So right now the plan for that one was a five-year hold, but I mean, the market is getting hotter. And so we'll, we'll evaluate in a few more months once we kind of get the full stabilization. If we're going to, you know, continue with the original business plan of doing refi and just kind of holding onto the property or, you know, if it makes sense to sell. And so I think we'll, we don't have an answer yet, but the, the original business plan is definitely hold on to the asset for five years, do the refi at year two once we've gotten a stabilization and pull, you know, that equity back out and give that back to our investors. How much did you buy it for per door? Uh, that one, we bought it for a little bit under 40000 a door. And you think maybe if you put another forty in, it would be one twenty-five. So, yeah. So, we've put about ten into it. So, our cost base is about fifty. Okay. And, yeah. So, that's, that's our cost basis, right? And getting it. it stabilization. We really focused on getting the asset to a performing asset. Ten a door. And, yeah. Right? That's, that's not small. No, it's not at all. It's, uh, and I think, you know, Tenador got us to where we need to, but I mean, if someone wanted to put a lot more, it could have been easily done. I mean, there was just, there was a surprising amount of deferred maintenance. We had, luckily we had over budgeted on our rehab because we just knew that there was going to be things that we didn't, we, we don't know until we get into there. But I mean, it was even really, you know, we used up all of our over budget as well. Okay. What, what did it go to? 
what do you mean by that? Uh, what did you spend the 10 Adore on? On the inside, the oh, gotcha. outside? So yeah, the 10 uh, Adore. So there's, some, there's a few downgates that we brought online. And, you know, it's kind of surprising to see some of these operators. So this property had nine downgates at the time. And the reason that they're down units is that that one building is a little bit on of a slope. And so it has a sump system where there's a pumps that turn on and pump septic into the city septic. And, you know, these nine down units were down because the pump had failed and had backed up into those units. And so they were down to the stud. And, you know, before takeover, I mean, you know, we thought that it must be a very expensive repair to get those pumps back online because the person's left these nine down units down for so long. And, you know, we get in there and we get a professional company out there to do it the right way. And it's a $35,000 repair. I mean, it's really not that much. And, you know, whenever the company that did the work, they went down there and took a look and the person before us had done, you know, he had put a residential pump instead of a commercial pump. He had one pump instead of two because you really, there's two that they'll take turns. So if one fails, you know, you're, you're not having a backup and you can address it. And so it was surprising to see this person had kind of really not spent the $30,000 the right way, but you could have brought nine down units online. And that right there is $90,000 income easy kind of that year so. Okay, right before the 99, what was the biggest property you, you purchased? Oh, the fourplex. <laughs> okay, cool. And uh, so let me ask you, what did you learn on this first syndication? What are some big takeaways? The big takeaways, I mean, it's really have a, have a business plan and stick to it. I'm glad we really, you know, we saw the vision before, before, before we buy the asset, you have your plan and you know, stick to it if it makes sense, right? Because, you know, you get bogged down in the details and it's like, oh, this is a grind. But really, you know, now we're on the outside. We're on, we're getting to stabilization. You're starting to see that before them. Um, another uh, big thing to learn is just, you know, really learning bridge lending, right? So this was a bridge lending. Uh, this was an asset where we did take on a bridge lender and just learning, you know, how they operate, what they look for. Some of the gotchas, right? I mean, kind of going into closing, they can, change things on you on a whim and just be prepared for that. That's okay. probably actually one of the biggest takeaways. So, you know, in the future, if we take on another kind of big value add, we definitely kind of know some of the gotchas to consider and look for. Great. On this one particular deal, what specifically did you learn about raising equity? Let's see. So I think, you know, it's, I guess you start to learn that people, and this is something I've learned in all of our deals really is different people look for different kinds of assets. And, you know, location's a big one, but even, you know, the risk of the deal and the value add. So some people, they like to buy properties that are stabilized, performing, you know, day one, there's cash flow, and they're okay with a little bit of less cash flow. Other people, they like value adds, right? Because the value add, you can get a much better return, but you're maybe not going to get a dollar the first year. And so this asset is exactly that. Nothing the first year, but then year two, three, four, you know, it's a very high cash on cash. And so it's been interesting to see, you know, the dynamic between what people really look for. And kind of the other nuance of that too is things that they hear like, oh, you know, I heard Southland is not a great part of Atlanta, but it's really, I mean, that 10 years ago, it's rough, but I mean, we have a property, another property in South Atlanta and that property is an amazing property. I mean, it's performing. And so it's been interesting just to kind of see some of the, the assumptions investors have and, you know, have to educate them and kind of explain really here's the business plan and here's why we see that vision. So, um, you have you said you bought it for around 3.9 million correct and you've put in another million dollars correct where did that million dollars come from uh where did that come from so that was part of the loan so for that loan you know the lender so bridge lenders are very the thing that they do well is that they will give you pretty good leverage 
whenever you include in the rehab. And so, you know, that, that million dollars is kind of day one was put into an account that the lender manages and controls. And then we do the work, we submit a draw, they review the work and then they, they give that money back to us, right. To kind of continue on to the next phase. And so I know you asked earlier what we spent the money on. And I guess I mentioned the down units, but those down units, exterior paint, you know, landscaping, new signage, new roof, playgrounds. Uh, we brought the pool online as well. That was a, that was a thing that was surprisingly positive from the tenants. I mean, the pool had been down for four or five years at least. Mm. Brought it online, it's you know thirty thousand dollars, and now we have a beautiful sparkling pool right next to the clubhouse. Was your budget right on, or was there a mistake in there? Um, I would say that we so we had kind of our business plan is that we had budgeted also upgrading interior units, and so we were really saying twenty to forty, right? And that was really forty if we're under budget, twenty if sorry, tw yeah, forty if we're under budget and have that extra budget to spend 20 if we're over. So we, that was almost our safety buffer. But I mean, I would say overall there was probably a little bit more deferred maintenance than what we were expecting, but we were pretty close. So, I mean, part of due diligence, we knew, we knew what was going on. We had a lot of vendors out there. I think, I think our property manager and some of the other vendors are just amazed at the army we had out there. Cause I mean, we probably had 30 people out there from, you know, roofs and, you know, all these guys are bidding the work for it. You're giving you very accurate estimates because, you know, they want the work once you close and, you know, we've done just that. So they went, you know, they sent their teams out there. They inspected all the things that we knew that were going to be concerned. And they gave us bids that, you know, a month, two months later, we were able to give them that business and let them kind of execute that. So it's been a win-win in that situation. And it helped us kind of make sure, you know, we're, we're, we're not missing something. Great. Uh, my last question is, what you learned on your first syndication. Only talk about what you gained during that first syndication on asset management. What did you not know going into it and um, you're happy that you learned during that first property? Maybe there's a, I learned a ton of things really kind of going in. And I mean, it's just understanding the dynamic of getting leasing going, right? Really from, you know, cause we really went from 80 down to 50 and you know, just seeing the lease up happen so quickly once we cross over a hill, right? That was the amazing part of it. So, you know, we did make the decision to spend money on security the first few months to really, you know, help us identify the, the problem tenants and clean house on that. And that honestly was the best money spent. And so just to really, you know, once you do that and then all of a sudden you have people coming in the door and you're converting 50% of these people into leases. I mean, we really went from, we really went from 70% to 90% in the span of about a month and a half. And so just really seeing that and what things change in the property and what it, what led to people starting to be really attracted to it has been kind of a really good learning. Awesome. All right. We're going to get into the final five, but after these messages, it's time to get serious about something. And one thing I'm passionate about is trying to stop the injustice of sex trafficking. The statistics are staggering. Right now, over a million young boys and young girls are trapped in the commercial sex industry around the world. Well, what I'm excited to share with you today is that my friends at Destiny Rescue exist to ensure that every child can lay his or her head on a pillow at night and sleep, not work. I encourage you to take a moment to learn how you can join the fight by visiting destinyrescue.org. All right, so this is the good part, the final five. And the first question that I have for you is, can you walk us through the most creative deal you've done? Yeah, I'd say the most creative deal I did actually was back whenever I had, you know, it was kind of building out my rental portfolio. So at the time, I actually, I had mentioned I had bought the fourplex and 
I had found that deal myself and I just found a random agent from, you know, an online community saying, Hey, I have this deal, you know, I just need you to close it. So I kind of, you know, tossed him a bone and six months later, he brings me a deal that he had come across and, you know, the owner was looking to, he was building a house. He was looking to basically sell his current house, but he needed to rent it for a few months and also do a few upgrades to kind of make it a little bit more attractive for, he was leasing out a room. And so we basically, he was able to sell it to us at a discount. We agreed to take it on, you know, get, take on the loan, buy the asset and give him, you know, the money so he can have that money to go spend on the next property while we let him live there for three months as well. And so it turned out, I mean, it was a, it was a home run deal in that sense. I mean, it was a no brainer and he rented at a good price as well. So we cash flow from day one and, you know, kind of really bought that 40% below market and that deals still own that property till, till now. I'm grateful you went over that. Thank you. What is a book you recommend? I would say the E-Myth Revisited. I mean, I love that book and I'm really big on, you know, once you have something working, how do you really streamline it and turn it into a business? Right. I think, you know, in our business, a lot of people, it's more of a hobby at first and they kind of struggle to get past that hump. And so I think the E-Myth does a fantastic job of teaching people how do you work in, on your business, not in your business. Great. Take us back to where you were five years ago. Five years ago, I had, uh, I guess I had just left Microsoft and I was uh, city hopping. So I was, you know, I had my own software company and working remotely and I was just kind of working in different cities just to really get a feel for each of the different cities out there in the, in the U.S. What, and that was a year before your first real estate deal. Yeah, that's, okay, yeah, cool. that's exactly it. Cool. And so within the five years, you've gone, you, you'll be, you know, within a couple of months, you'll have 1,200 doors. That's incredible. Where will you be in five years from today? Yeah, so I'm hoping five years from today, we're at 5,000 doors in asset management. So kind of our, our internal goal is to really try to do about 1,000 a year. And so I'm hoping that's kind of where we are in about five years. What are you going to do to get there? I mean, it's really scale up smartly, right? So, you know, kind of focus on a part of the business that needs the systems in place. Some of the stuff that really the E-Myth Revisited preaches. And so really build them out. You know, one of good examples, there's acquisitions, right? And so if you bring on an acquisitions manager who can, you know, you can really introduce them to the brokers that we've built relationships with over time, teach them some of the ropes, and at the same time, they know what we look for in a deal, right? So they, they know how to do the back of the napkin to kind of do that initial filtering for us. And then we can kind of take a closer look. Similarly, operations, right? So we've been putting in a lot of systems, you know, really what's our checkbox for certain things and kind of get that operationalized just to be able to let that part of the business kind of run a little bit without our interaction so we can continue to grow the business. Okay. So it sounds like an acquisition manager is going to be a part of that team that you're going to need to put on to be able to grow to the scale that you want with the 5,000 doors. So my question would be, when you have an acquisition manager, how will they be compensated? Yeah. So I think for an acquisitions manager, so for us, I think our first hire is actually going to be an asset manager. Then the next one will be an acquisitions manager. And so to your question, I think it'll be kind of a combination of salary plus getting an extra bonus per deal, right? That meets the, the criteria just to help motivate them to go out. And, you know, if they bring us 10 deals tomorrow, that's a lot of deals. But at the same time, if they're true deals that they're going to get the returns, I mean, we're happy to run with it. And so to kind of really keep them motivated, but at the same time, making sure they have money to be able to live off of as well. Makes sense. Will they have equity in the properties? So, I mean, it's not something that we've fully discussed. I think it's something we would love to. 
it just really depends on, you know, the, the person themselves and if they're, what kind of structure they're interested in. So I think it's, it's a negotiation. Cool. How do you give back? I mean, what I've, I think the best way we give back, honestly, is providing good quality housing. I mean, some people in the business will poor boy it up, kind of just lack of a better word, or slumlord it up is kind of another thing you hear. And, you know, I mean, we, we're not interested in that. We find that it's actually much better to spend the money up front, do it the right way, and build that sense of community. Because then your properties stay occupied too. No one wants to leave the property. And so, I mean, and I really saw this in the deal that we were talking about earlier where, you know, just being on the property and the tenants come up to you and, you know, they, you know, you never tell them you're an owner, but they just, they realize that you're there with management. They're like, this property has become so much better than what it is. I mean, they're very, very thankful. You see kids out playing and, you know, we didn't see that before. And so it's kind of providing good, safe housing that people are, you know, that, that people enjoy. Okay, Ferris, uh, last question. How do people find Disrupt Equity or get a hold of you? Sure, you can find us online at www.disruptequity.com or feel free to send me an email at ferris at disruptequity.com. Love it. Thanks for being on the show. I really appreciate you, your time. And we brought a lot of gems out with uh, all the questions. I'm, I'm grateful for you spilling the beans on what's going on in the company. We learned a lot from you today. So until next time, think outside the box. Hey, thank you again for being a loyal listener of this show. I'm humbled that you keep coming and, and listening to more and more episodes. I have a couple quick things. Number one is I would be just so honored if you would take a moment to go to destinyrescue.org and see how you could join the fight. Another thing is I want to see you move your business forward. I want to see you starting your own podcast, hosting your own events, starting a meetup group, you know, putting your name out there so that you can raise your equity a little bit easier. And if, it, if what it takes for you to really get into that is one-on-one -on -one consulting, I will do that for you. I will consult with you to help you get your podcast off the ground. I'll help you and consult with you to help make sure that your meetup becomes one of the best meetups in your city. If you need that help, just reach out to me at adam at realbluespruce.com. That's adam at realbluespruce.com. And for any passive investors out there who have bought rentals and you wanted to do that for the passive income and then you realize it's not really totally passive, there is opportunities that my company has and we're purchasing larger multifamily deals. And with these larger multifamily apartment buildings, these are actually passive type of passive income. And we would love to have that conversation with you. To get that started, you can go into the show notes and grab my calendar and just book a time to, to, to chat one-on-one. -on -one. So you can ask me any questions that you would like to. And if it makes it a fit for you to be a real actual passive, passive investor, then I'd love to extend that opportunity to you if you're an accredited investor. And finally, there is the Best Ever Conference, which is coming up. Okay, the Best Ever Conference is coming up. And it's literally the Best Ever Conference. It's all about multifamily and self-storage and other types of commercial assets, which is just incredible. It's the best conference that I've ever been to. And Joe Fairless puts that on. I'm going to be on stage this year. It's on February 22nd and 23rd. And you're going to come anyway. So stop waiting because here's the thing. Every single week, every single week, the prices go up by like 20 or 30 bucks. Literally every week, the prices go up and up and up. So the cheapest time to get your ticket, the absolute cheapest time to get the ticket 
and I mean they're going to be kind of expensive anyways. They start at twelve hundred bucks, and so right now they're a little over half price, a little over half price to grab your ticket to the best ever conference. But with that said, I'll be able to give you an extra twenty five percent off that. So go to besteverconference.com and then put in the promo code hashtag blue spruce. Okay, hashtag blue spruce. And then I definitely like to see you there. And I know that it's going to help your business. Again, you're probably going to go anyway. You may as well save on your ticket by getting it this week because next week it's obviously going to be a little bit more. So besteverconference.com and then put in the promo code hashtag blue spruce. And I'd love to see you there. It's going to be in Denver, February 22nd and 23rd. Flights to Denver International Airport are cheap from anywhere. So book your ticket today, book your plane flight today as well. And I will see you in Denver at the Best Ever Conference. Talk to you soon. Until next time, think outside the box.